honor to be here. Um, uh, it's been a while. It's been, what, two, three years, I think, since I last came up and spoke. And uh, you guys hear me okay? Okay, good. Let me just get settled here. Okay, um, open your Bibles. Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. Um, before we get into the Word this morning, is there anyone here that, say in the last year, has just received Christ, received, believed in Jesus? Anyone here at all, this first year or so? Okay, uh, anyone here who has come back to the Lord after being away? One, all right, man. So glad to have you here. Okay, let's, back to the family, man. Thank you. God bless you. Um, I just love the fellowship of this church. You guys are so great. You come up and you introduce yourself, and I've forgotten all of your names. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but bear with me. But um, I, for the last year, the Lord has, it's probably about a year and a half, the Lord has really been speaking to me about what I want to talk about today. And, and, and really, it's what the Lord has been teaching me and that I want to share with you. And, and it really is my, my prayer, my hope, that you will receive what the Lord has been revealing to me and that you will take note of it and come before the Lord yourself in, in the same regard. And he's been speaking to me about prayer. And as he's been speaking to me and as I've been studying in Scripture, uh, the subject or the topic of prayer, I've, I, I've been reviewing my own prayer life. And, man, I really feel that I've been falling down on it, you know? And that's, that's not, you know, to condemn myself or anything, but I'm beginning to see just how important prayer is. And, uh, you know, maybe you already knew that, but this is my journey, and I want to share that with you. And, and, and over this last year or so, my understanding of prayer has grown so much. And, and the way I pray, and, and it's, it's, been, it's been really exciting. I, I just feel like I've been reborn again. I've been born again, born again. You know, because I, I just feel that I've drawn so close to the Lord. And I'm excited about it. And, and I think, you know, if we're going to be talking about prayer this morning, it's probably a good idea. Why don't we open up in prayer? So I want to ask you, is there, is there anyone here that needs prayer? Anything at all? Something that's troubling you or you've been wrestling with and, and you're just, you've seen you can't get through that, that brass ceiling? All right, thank you, sister. Anyone else? Another one. Thank you, sister. Over here, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. See? You know, any, anyone else? Let, let's go before the Lord. Mm. Oh, Lord. Father. Here among your people, Lord your church. You see the raised hands. Lord, we are so needy. 
We know your word. We believe in you. Our hope is in you. And yet, Lord, there are times I confess, I feel my prayers are unheard. Lord, I, I just want to take this moment just to, to lift up this church and humbly ask you, Lord, that you would sweep over us. Lord, fall on us with your spirit. All those that raise their hands, Lord, I don't know what their need is, but you do. So, Lord, I, I ask that you would meet each and every one of your children where they're at. Lord, restore the brokenhearted. Heal the sick. Lift up those whose souls are, are cast down. Lord, I pray for the marriages here. Bless them. Restore them. Lord, restore relationship between husband and wife, father and son, mom and daughter. Oh, Lord, we, we so desperately need you. And my heart's desire this morning, Lord, as we, as we look at what prayer is, Lord, that you would teach us to pray. Lord, that we would come away today having greater insight into what you, you said when my, my people humble themselves and pray. Lord, that we would, we would see how important this relationship that you have provided for us is, Lord, that we can come to you as little children. Lord Jesus, as you taught us to come, Abba, Father, and that you receive us. You lift us up and you wrap your arms around us. And we are safe and secure in your embrace. So Lord, bless, I pray, this message which you have given me. Oh Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's wonderful that we can, we can come here. Forgive my, my emotions. That's one thing that I've discovered that the Lord has really done in my heart is that I, I've just, as I've experienced this, this rebirth in, in my understanding of prayer, I've just gotten so emotional about it. Amen. And, you know, praise God. But, you know, as I, as I started studying and, and taking notes on prayer, as I was doing my morning devotions and taking time before the Lord and, and pouring out my heart and, and seeing things that I never saw before, making note of it, and then keeping, you know, keeping a bit of a journal. And Well, I journal anyway. Um, I, I saw that what I was seeing in prayer, or I'm sorry, what I was seeing in the Word of God was so much different than what I was experiencing in my own prayer life. And... I saw Jesus praying, and a storm ceased. I saw Jesus praying, and the dead came back to life. I saw Jesus praying, and the blind and the deaf and the lame were healed. I saw Jesus praying, 
And he called out to men, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they heard and they followed. And I, I was struck by the word of God and the obvious power that it contains. And I wrote this in my journal just this last April. So much to learn. I'm tired being a powerless Christian believing in an almighty, all-powerful God, yet not seeing the power that he has given us. And it's not him. God forbid that I ever think that. Evaluating my prayers, I find that I so often do what James instructs me not to do. You have not because you ask not. And much of my prayer in truth is nothing but butter applied to stale bread, hoping it tastes good to the one that I'm offering it to. And as I studied and as I read, I found that I was in really good company. Because even those that had followed Jesus for some time saw there was something different about the way Jesus prayed. So let's read chapter 11 together, beginning at verse 1 through verse 4. And, uh, you know, I, I agonized over my notes because I had so much material. And I, I put together this study, and then I spent most of Thursday editing it. And I, I just pray to God that I haven't taken out the things that he really wants you to know. But I had to shorten it because we would be here all day. But it's four verses and they are perhaps the most profound verses in Scripture. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the Lord Jesus' teaching on prayer. And I was struck when Luke writes as he was praying in a certain place. And, and I thought, well, Jesus prayed in many places. Is there a certain place we need to pray? No. He happened to be in a place, and that's where he prayed. And we, we can do the same thing. We can, we can pray at home. We can pray at work. We can pray in our car. We can pray here at church. We can pray by ourselves. We can pray together. We can pray for our needs. We can pray for others' needs. We can pray together for the needs of others. There is, there is no place that is designated except perhaps when the Lord speaks about prayer and he says, when you go to your prayer closet. But as I looked through Scripture, I saw that Jonah prayed from the belly of a fish. What's eating you this morning? 
John prayed on the island of Patmos, and the Lord gave him revelation. Are you on an island? You feel all by yourself. We see so many examples of praying in certain places. But the Lord Jesus says, when you pray. And the disciples knew there was something different about the way they prayed and the way the Lord prayed. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'm struck by that. Because they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. Oh, Lord, will you teach us to evangelize? Lord, would you teach us how to heal? Lord, teach us to know your word. I mean, that's an important prayer, but they didn't ask that. Lord, how can I have a great marriage? Lord, how can I be good parents? No. Lord, teach us to pray. Oh, that we would ask. Teach us to pray. Church, do you know how to pray? Leader, do you know how to pray? And what do you pray for? And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, and it's so important to see that it's not if you pray, but when you pray. So we are to pray. And Jesus teaches us this very important principle about prayer. And he begins teaching his disciples about what they, or who, I should say, they are praying to. When you pray, say, our Father. And just those two words have such deep meaning. We could spend the next few hours just talking about what Jesus meant about our Father. But we go to our Father. So we come as a child coming to a Father. Now, there are many men here, and I'm assuming that some of the men here are fathers. And certainly all of us have had a father. And, and maybe our earthly father hasn't been what we expected. And, and we, we kind of go, oh, you know, our father. I didn't have a really good relationship with my father, and now I have to come to God, who I can't see but who I believe in, and say, oh, our father or my father. But we are to come to God, our father, as a, as a child, not expecting rejection, but expecting reception. Oh, and so many times I've gone to my father. Uh -huh. And I think... He, he's, he's not going to receive me. I've done this. I've forgotten that. Oh, I, I cursed his name. How can I go and say, our father, will he receive me? We need to learn brothers and sisters, that a father, a true father, is never too busy 
to receive his child. The writer of Hebrews says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, not shame, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. We come to our Father as a child with expectation of acceptance, not rejection. And when we pray, our Father, we can boldly expect to be received. And when we pray, we can expect an answer to our need. And yet somehow, we've become conditioned not to expect an answer. Charles Blanchard, who was the second president of Wheaton College, he writes in his book, Getting Things from God, A Study of the Prayer Life. He says this, he says, an answer to prayer is a granting of the thing desired. Saying no to a request is not an answer to prayer in any real substantial meaning of the expression. When God answers prayer, he says yes. And then furthermore, he writes, Another reason why Christians do not pray as they ought to is because they do not believe. That is, they do not believe that God will give them the things which they desire. They believe that God is good. They believe that he does very many good things, that he watches over people and cares for them, but they do not have faith for the particular thing which they desire. Now, you might disagree with what Dr. Blanchard says there. But perhaps then you will believe Jesus, who says in John chapter 15, verse 7, that if you abide in me, if my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. So we need to ask ourselves, are we abiding in Christ? And really, the word abiding means being in submission, being in obedience. So are we obedient to Christ, and are we abiding in his word? Are we being obedient to his word? The first point, I guess, uh, that I'm discovering in my own prayer life is that obedience is a key to fulfill prayer. And when we pray as we are directed to by Christ, anything other than a yes really is not an answer to prayer. And, and we've heard it, and I myself have taught it, and I realize now it wasn't right. The idea that God answers prayer either yes or no or maybe is completely contradictory to what Jesus says there. So we come in obedience. And we come by faith. There is, there is no other way to approach God. We have to come by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us that. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. To please our Father who is in heaven. 
to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We approach God by faith, believing who he is and who is he. He is our father. He doesn't reject. He receives. And he hears us. And when he hears us, he answers. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you catch that? You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Unless you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus yet, if you consider yourself a Christian, then I submit to you at one time, you prayed, Lord, forgive me my sin. Lord, receive me as your child. And he answered that prayer, didn't he? Why on earth would we believe that when we ask him anything else that he would say no? He answered that prayer. We have faith to believe that. We have faith to receive that. And yet I found myself so often before the throne of grace praying to God and being double-minded like James says. Will the Lord answer this? Why, why would he answer this? But I found in my studies that God loves to answer the prayers of his children. He desires to answer, to answer the prayers of his children. He waits for his children to come and ask him. Oh, he, he, just, he just longs to pour out his, his favor on us. And I also found that he loves to answer our prayers in great, big, dramatic ways. Imagine for a moment his child Elijah challenging the 450 false prophets of Baal and not expecting an answer. He's all by himself. There's 450 guys that want nothing but his blood. And he says, hey, I'm going to challenge you guys. You pray to Baal. You, wor you worship Baal. You sacrifice to Baal. And, and I will do the same thing with Jehovah. And whichever God answers, he be God. But if Elijah was double-minded, if he was saying, oh, I don't know if God's going to answer this prayer, do you really think he would have made that challenge? But perhaps you're thinking right now, but <laughs> I'm not Elijah. No, but you are his child. John 1.12 confirms this. We are his child. If you've received him, you have the right to be called the child of God. Imagine that. The child of God. Now, I'm the child of my father. Nobody knows who he is. And that's, that's not his fault. I mean, that's life, right? But everyone knows God the Father, whether he admit it or not. And we're his child, children. And that's, that's powerful. 
And you know, we have the love of our Father from the moment that we wake up to the moment we lay our head down and every moment in between. And as we, as we sang this morning, our Father is a good, good Father. He's a good, good Father. And He loves us, and He loves to give His children what they ask for, what they seek for, what they knock on the door for. Now, in, in return, knowing this about our, our Father in heaven, in return, as His children, we are to seek Him, we're to spend time with him. We're to give our love to him. We are to go to the Father when we are afraid. We're to seek assurance from him. But if we have any doubt, any fear, any concern at all that our prayers won't be answered, are we going to do that? Jesus says, our Father is in heaven. That's, that's the highest of highs. And that, that's his abode. That's where he dwells. That means that God is the highest authority there ever has been, ever is, and ever will be. And Jesus says, that's who we're to pray to. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Now some have said that we look at these opening words of the Lord's Prayer as worship. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, and so on and so forth. And prayer is worship, and, and prayer certainly um, is adoration. But I, I thought about that and I thought, you know, is that, is that all it is? And I'm, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying worship isn't important. Adoration isn't necessary. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, but is, is that really what Jesus is saying? When you say or when you pray and you say, our Father uh, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, is it just a form of worship? Yes, it is, but it's much more than that. And I, I love what the pastor and author John R. Rice, John R. Rice says about this. He says, the greatest form of worship that we can give an all-powerful, almighty God is to come like little children and ask, Abba, Father, give us our daily bread. Because that's faith, and that's trust. And without faith, it is impossible to please our Father. And Dr. Charles Blanchard, again, he says this. He says, a true child of God is obedient. And he writes, he says, a child who is not submissive and obedient is not in any real sense a spiritual child, but rather a spiritual rebel. When you pray, say, our Father. It's not... Hey, man. Hey, dude. Oh, it's our father. Dad, I'm coming to you as a child. I love what Elizabeth Elliot writes. A whole lot of what we call struggling is simply delayed obedience. And Jesus says this. He says, he who has my commandments 
and keeps them. It is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. John 14, verse 21. So I submit that if we love Jesus, we must be obedient. And Jesus continues and he says, when you pray, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now other translations say or render it, holy is your name. The Apostle Peter in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, I think he really understood what Jesus was saying here because he writes this. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And again, as I was reviewing my own prayer life, Oh, there were so many times, as I said, I had thought things, done things, spoken things, <sighs> kind of went wishy-washy, wishy but in no real sense of, of awe and holiness. I thought back to the prophet Isaiah ministering in the temple, and, and we can get so caught up in ministry that we forget who we're ministering to and how we are to minister. And God appeared. And Isaiah just fell on his knees and he says, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He was instantly struck with the holiness of God and the realization that even though he was a prophet, even though he was a, a minister, he, he really had no idea of how holy God is. In his book, Holiness, J.C. Riley, or Ryle, I'm not sure you pronounce it Riley or Ryle, but he writes this. He says, are we holy? That question can never be out of season. The wise man tells us there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. But there is no time. No, not a day in which a man ought not to be holy. Are we? Peter continues in verse 17 of, of 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We are God's children. We've been purchased. We've been purchased not with gold, not with corruptible silver, but with the blood of Christ. And so as I reviewed my own prayer life, coming before the Father, my Father, how was I coming? Was my conduct holy? Micah chapter 6, verse 8 tells us what conduct should look like, good conduct should look like. 
He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Psalm 15 asks a question. Lord, Lord, who, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell on your holy hill? It's a great question. And then the answer comes. He who walks uprightly, who works righteousness, who speaks truth in his heart, who does not backbite, who does no evil, who does not take up a reproach against friends, who despises a vile person, who honors those who fear the Lord, who doesn't lend his money at interest, and who doesn't take a bribe against the innocent. And I found as I was looking through scripture, I saw so many parallel verses saying the same things or different things and making a list of holy conduct. David, whom the Lord calls a man after his own heart, he writes this in Psalm 51, verse 10. Oh, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then I found that the author of Psalm 66, in verse 18, he says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Oh. As I thought about these things, as I reviewed my own prayer life, I thought, you know, Pete, you're, you're really coming to someone that you don't fully grasp. You don't fully understand what Jesus is saying. When you pray, Say, our Father. Come, come as a child. Dirty, snot-nosed, unkempt hair. But come as a child. Because he's your Father who loves you. But come in holiness. Come with an understanding of who your Father in heaven is. Again, I found Pastor John R. Rice writing this. He says, Wicked hearts that seek to have success in prayer without first getting on the praying ground of a surrendered heart are doomed to disappointment. No doubt, here is a great secret of our lack of faith and lack of enthusiasm and lack of success in prayer. We ask amiss that we may consume things on our own flesh. And John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, he says this. He says, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. And the Apostle John says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he, God, our Father, is faithful to forgive us our sins. And then he says something that I've read so many times and just really never thought about. And he says, and... Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our loving Father not only receives his penitent child, but he hears our confessions and he provides complete and utter cleansing. 
not just from a sin, not just from some sins, but all sins, all unrighteousness. God gives us so much more than we can ask for. So God's child can expect an answer if he comes in holiness before a holy God. Now what should we pray for? We can pray for anything. But Paul said something I thought was profound. He said, all things are possible, but not all things are beneficial. And again, I looked at my prayer life and the things that I prayed for and how I prayed and the words that I used. And I, I know you guys don't do this, but I, I did this all the time. And I would begin off, oh, Lord, and you're so amazing and so wonderful and you've made the sky blue and the stars twinkle at night and the grass is green and the flowers. And, and I thought, why, why am I doing that? Doesn't God know that he made the sky blue and made the grass green and the flowers and the stars twinkle? And like, why, why am I kind of buttering them up, you know? Like, and, and I just thought, oh, man, I just, I need to get to the heart of the matter. Like Isaiah did, woe is me, I'm a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I'm coming before a holy God. So what should we pray for? Well, we can pray for anything, but not everything is worthy of prayer. James says that we should not pray for things to consume on ourselves. James 4.3 You ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. But isn't, isn't that what Jesus says we're to do? We're supposed to come to him, and whatever we desire, he will, we, he will give to us. So maybe I'm misunderstanding something. But Jesus tells us, he tells his disciples, he tells those who said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, he said when you pray and you come and you say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I thought, okay, when I, when I pray, am I seeking his will in what I'm praying? You see, I, I quite often prayed, oh, Lord, I'd like you to do this for me. Lord, I'd like you to give this to me if it's your will. And, and it's really like I'm saying, uh, Lord, I, you know, I'm not really sure if, if you really like this prayer. And, and so I'm going to know that it's, it's really not, you know, so if, if it doesn't happen, then it's not your will. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when you pray, come to the Father. Realize that he's a holy God. But he's your dad. And he loves you. And then when you pray, pray those things which you know please the Father. That you know are God's will. So what are our motives when we pray. John Rice gives this illustration. A wife wants her husband saved, and she prays for him. Yet her motives may be all wrong. It may be that the wife thinks, if my husband were saved, it would be so much easier on me. He would take me to church. He would be kinder in the home. 
And so she prays for the thing that God really wants to do, longs to do. But God cannot righteously answer her prayer. God needs to make the wife's heart right before he can save her. Uh, sorry, save her husband. Next page. Save her husband. Now, I once had a manager. I worked for the city of Richmond for 35 years in facility management. And I once had a manager who was very demanding. And I, I actually, I felt abused by her. I, I felt she, she was abusive the way she talked to me. Um, you know, nothing I did seemed good enough to her. And I, I really began to hate my job. And I've been in that job for over 20 years. And, and it was like, and, and my wife can attest to it, it was like every morning I'd wake up to go to work and it was like, I gotta see this person again. And what is it gonna be today? You know, the report that I worked on all last week, is it gonna be good enough? Is she gonna want changes? Does she want a new report? Is it gonna be, oh, this report is useless. Let's go somewhere else. What, what was it going to be like? I just began to hate getting up in the morning, hate to go to work. And my, my days turned into weeks and months, and my dislike for this woman began to verge on the point of hatred. And all this time, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord, and I'm praying. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm praying. I, I'm, I'm asking God. Actually, I'm beginning to demand God do something. Either take this woman out or take me out. And the Lord began to do something that I hadn't expected. He lovingly used his word. And he began to show me that I was wrong in this situation. That I, I was praying completely amiss. I was, I was trying to get God to do something so I could spend it on myself. Make, make going to work fun again. Make, make the job that I took pride in prideful again. And he showed me that I was asking selfishly. I was asking amiss. And it took a while. Oh, I argued. So I mean, it's her. Why aren't you answering my prayer? It took a while, but he continued through pastors speaking the word of God, through me opening the Bible, seeing things that I wasn't expecting. And I, I repented. And I prayed a prayer of repentance. And I sensed the Lord telling me, that I was to serve her in obedience. Obedience to him. It, it, it took a while, but I, I determined to be obedient to God. And I'd go in to work, and I stopped arguing with her. I would go in at times and say, Mary, is there anything I can do for you? Is there, do you need anything? Uh, I'm working on that report. I'll have it done as soon as I can. But in the meantime, is there anything that, that you need me to do? And I, I provided for her the things that she asked for as quickly as I could, regardless of how busy I thought I was on other matters. I made her the priority. 
As soon as she came in and said, Pete, I, I need something and I need it like for this meeting and it's 10 minutes, it didn't matter what I was in the middle of, I'd say, no worries, I'll get it for you. And I would, as best as I could, I would deliver. And you know what happened? A few years later, the job changed. She left. But our working relationship until the moment she left had completely changed. And I had too. Jesus said, if you abide in me, if you abide in my words, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So abiding in the word, I found that Jesus taught me through scripture like Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. Love your enemies. Love those that curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We, we might think, Lord, you're asking the impossible. You have no idea. I, I work for Cruella DeVille. You don't get it, Jesus. Oh, yeah, I get it. I was despitefully used, rejected by men. Nails were driven through my wrists, through my feet. He gets it. But we have to, we have to do what he says. So in our text, Jesus next says that we are to pray for God's kingdom to come. Oh, man. Don't we want God's kingdom to come? Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I, turn, I turn on the news every night, and I'm thinking, can it get any worse? Jesus, come. Quickly. <laughs> come now. Is that what Jesus is saying? Pray for your kingdom to come? See, the truth is, according to the word of God, that you and I are not citizens of the earth. We're citizens of heaven. We're kingdom dwellers. We're already in the kingdom. Our home isn't earth. Our home is heaven. But shouldn't we desire to share the hope that we have of the kingdom, of our relationship with Almighty God, Shouldn't we desire to share that with others? And so Jesus says, your will be done. Your will in regards to what? Your, your will for, for the kingdom of heaven to come on the earth. Now what does that look like? You see, God made a promise to creation way back in Genesis. He says, this curse that you're now experiencing it, I'm going to solve it. I'm going, to, I'm going to give a seed who will be the one who will set all things right. Speaking of Jesus Christ, right back in Genesis. And so he made this promise. And God's word tells us that he fulfills his promises. And if God has made you a promise and it hasn't come to pass yet, wait. He will fulfill his promise. Every promise that we see in Scripture up until today that has been fulfilled and there are many that haven't yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled one day. 
You can, you can bank on it. And his promise is that he will save the world. And first, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 9, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, my apologies to those that are taking notes. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I've been so often praying before the Lord, and I've, I've prayed for this, and I've prayed for that, and I've prayed for someone's healing or, or job need or whatever. And these, these are, are good prayers. There's nothing wrong with those prayers. But have I, have I ever considered that those things that I'm praying for, first of all, are, are being prayed for in his will? Is the person I'm praying for for healing, are they saved? If God answers my prayer, they'll be, they'll be healed. But like Jesus told the blind man when he healed him, he said, repent or something worse will happen. Am I praying for salvation? He doesn't want anyone should perish, but all come to repentance. Salvation is God's promise to a sinful world. And so we should be praying the will of God in this regard. For heaven to come on earth. Oh, God save. God save. God save my husband. God save my wife. Lord, save my children. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Save my neighbor. Save the person I spoke to at church who's, who said, I'm not really sure about this whole Jesus thing. Pray the will of God. Look to scripture, find out what God's will is, but we can be sure that God's will is to save. There's such a, a need in the world and believe it or not, there's a need in the church. As, as we saw this morning, as I, I said, hey, anyone here that has a prayer need? And it's good for us to do that. Oh, that we would pray for another, one another. James says, confess your sins one to another. You know, confess our doubts, our fears. I'm not really sure about this, this prayer stuff that Pete's talking about. Can you help me out? I'm not, I'm not sure, but am I saved? Can you help me out? I, I'm, I'm lost. I'm in such pain. I, I'm going through this. I, I, I feel like I've been, been swallowed by this great big fish. I, I feel like I'm alone. I'm on an island. Oh, mommy, I said, will you pray for me? Oh, that, that we would learn to pray. That we as a church would say, Lord, teach us to pray. You may have heard recently of, of some very well-known Christian leaders and as they're called nowadays, influencers. They've fallen away. And then there was an article just this past week in the Globe and Mail and it spoke of a pandemic of loneliness and the demographic that is the most lonely 
are those between 18 and 24. Oh, our, our world has been given a, a, a false sense of friendship. How many likes do you have? Oh, somebody likes me. Well, who likes you? Oh, I don't know, just people that see my posts. But they're my friends. How often do you hang out with them? Oh, I, I don't even know who they are. There's lo lonely people. Look at, your, look at your neighbor. Right here in church. They could be lonely. They could be going through things that we can't even possibly imagine. But we know not because we ask not. How's it going? Wonderful. Really? Really? Because I've had just an awful week. And, and you had a wonderful week. Now, how did you have a wonderful week? Well, it wasn't really that wonderful. I, the bank foreclosed on my house on Monday. Really? Hey, Mike, hey, Susan, hey, John, come on. We've got to pray for this brother. We've got to pray for this sister. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, my experience has been and, I, and I'm just sharing you my experience, my observation. That most often when I'm at a prayer gathering, we sit around and we ask for prayer requests. Nothing wrong with that. Depending on how big the group is, we take an awful lot of time for prayer requests. And then someone is directed, would you pray for him or her or pray for this, pray for that. And then we spend very little time actually praying because we've taken so much time looking for prayer requests that we don't have enough time left over to pray. But the other thing that I've noticed when, when I've done that, we never, we never take time to seek the Lord. What do you want us to pray for? Yes, yes, it's important for, to pray for healing for this brother or to pray for uh, you know, the job for this sister or to pray for the relationship of, the, of this, this husband and wife. It's, it's vitally important. But, Lord, what would you have us pray? Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Maybe you're here and you're working with Pastor Matt uh, with regards to discipleship. Uh, I, I hope he's mentioned that to the church, inviting anyone that, that feels they've never been properly discipled to come and be discipled. If he hasn't, I've let the, let the cat out of the bag, but he's going to tell you about it. Go and talk to Pastor Matt. If you, if you feel that you don't know how to read your Bible, you don't know how to pray, I'm not even sure if I'm saved, go and talk to Pastor Matt and become a disciple. Don't be satisfied being a convert. Be a disciple. Jesus said, come, follow me. Now, one of the books that we're using in our discipleship lessons or learning or class, whatever you want to call it, is by Bill Mowry. And he's written this amazing study book, and it's called The Ways of the Alongsider. And I love that. We need to be alongsiders to one another. 
You know, guys, I have no idea what time I started. And I, I apologize if I'm going late. But I'm almost done. But the ways of the alongsider, Bill Murray writes this. He says, when we examine the prayer lives of Jesus and Paul, we see how they prayed macro prayers. These macro prayers focused on protection from the evil one, experiencing joy, enlightened hearts, or the true knowledge of God's hope. Macro prayers fill our heart or fill our faith to the eternal qualities that God wants to build into our lives. They speak to character and not only to momentary conditions. This is in contrast to the micro prayers we often focus on, such as current illness or the provision of a job. Micro prayers are often current and sometimes temporary conditions. While the Lord encourages and responds to these immediate micro prayers, we should learn from the examples of Jesus and Paul to focus on macro praying. This is what Jesus is telling us. When you pray, say, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name or your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. These are macro prayers. And I saw so quickly that much of my praying was micro, not macro. And I was, I was praying for the sake of saying, Oh, I spend time in prayer. But really, really what I was praying for were temporary, temporary things, not eternal things, certainly not heaven on earth things, not God's will things. And so I've, I've begun, as I've reviewed my prayer life, I've begun to learn how to pray macro prayers. Oh, I want to pray big things because I'm praying to a big God who loves to answer prayer in big ways and do big, amazing, incredible, miraculous, supernatural things in the life of his children, in his church. Jesus said, the things you see me doing, you will do things and even greater besides. Oh, Lord, do that work in my life. Do it in the life of my brothers and sisters. Teach us to pray. Proverbs 11, verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous life is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Brothers, sisters, who do you know that isn't saved? Pray for them. Pour out your heart for them. Tell the Lord how desperately you want him to bring heaven into their lives. Speak to them about Christ. Don't let another moment go by. Tell them the love of Jesus. Be bold. Be a macro prayer warrior. Now verse 3 of our text, see we're almost done. It's only verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. Jesus is the bread of life. I don't want the stale bread that I've been offering up to my Father in heaven any longer. I want the bread of life in my life. And we need more of Jesus in our lives. Amen? Amen. I mean, can we, can we really say, oh, you know, I've, I've had such a great time these last 30 years walking with the Lord. I've got so much Jesus in me, I don't need any more. No. <laughs> Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Are you in Jesus this morning? Are you in Jesus tomorrow? What happened today that 
causes you to go, hmm, I'm not sure. No, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Praise be to God. He's the bread of life, and we need him in our, in our lives, and we need more of his word in our hearts, the, the, the bread of the word of God. We need more power of the Holy Spirit, who is the bread. Luke chapter 11, later on in our text, verses 11 and 13, he gives us some insight regarding this bread. And I think we need to take note of this and look at it and pray it and believe it and confess it if we haven't believed it and then confess the more until the Lord does this. If a son, if a child asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he, if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Oh, bread of life, fall on us. Fill us to overflowing. Let us, let us give of the bread you have given to others that they may eat and partake and become one with us as we are one with you. Oh, we so desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. We need it in our churches. We need it in our missions. We need it in our ministry. Brothers, sisters, we just need. And disciples were told by Jesus to wait for power to come from the Holy Spirit. At the end of Acts chapter 1, we see that they were praying, and they were praying specifically for a need. Judas had gone and hung himself, and they, they felt the, the Lord prompting them, you need to replace him. You need to put somebody in his place. And they, so they didn't just choose somebody. No, they sought the Lord. And they said, Lord, show us another who must take his place. And then in chapter 2, we see that they were all together in one place. What were they doing? doesn't tell us. I believe with all my heart they were praying. They were together in one place. And then we see uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon them in power. And Luke 11, verses 11 through 13 specifically tells us, Jesus is telling us that as his disciples, as his children, as God's children, we are to ask for bread. And then Jesus says, the Father gives the Holy Spirit to his children. Gives the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say no. Doesn't say maybe. So we see again that when we ask, he gives. Verse 4 of our text again tells us about the importance of asking for forgiveness from our sins. We are to forgive as we have been forgiven. We are to forgive anyone who is indebted to us. Or in other words, we are to forgive those who have sinned against us. Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and wherever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Proverbs 28, verse 13, he who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. I looked at my prayers. 
And I realized I was doing what James tells me not to do. You have not because you ask not, because when you ask, you ask amiss. And often I was harboring a grudge against someone, even as I harbored a grudge, hatred against my manager, who wasn't even a Christian. Imagine our father's chagrin when we have enmity with each other. Believing husband against believing wife, believing parents against believing children. Our neighbors in Christ. I sit over here because I don't want to sit over there. Because he's there. I need to get this message over with so I can leave so I don't have to be confronted by her. Oh, Lord. Teach us to pray. Teach us to seek forgiveness, Lord. As you have forgiven us, may we forgive those that sin against us. We pray against temptation. Now the Lord does not lead us in temptation. Father, Father doesn't lead a child into danger. But we are to pray to be delivered from temptation, to be delivered from a place that we should not enter into in, in, in case we are temptation uh, or tempted to be uh, drawn into evil. But we can find our, uh, ourselves in these places. Imagine Jonah's chagrin finding himself in the belly of a whale. John, that loving servant of Christ, cast alone upon the island of Patmos, dwelling in a cave. The enemy can take advantage of us at a moment, in a moment's notice. And Jesus says, deliver us. Pray for deliverance from the evil one. How can we do this? Well, we might want to pray something like the psalmist prays in Psalm chapter uh, or Psalm 140 in verse 1 and verse 4. Verse 1, deliver me, O Lord. Deliver me, Father. Your child needs you. Deliver me from evil, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men. And then in verse 4, he says, Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. Or perhaps we might want to pray Proverbs chapter 2, verses 3 and verse 12 and 13. Verse 3, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, verse 12, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. The greatest adversary we have is Satan who walks in darkness, who is the father of lies, who was a murderer from the beginning. Yes, pray to be delivered from evil. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. James says you have not because you ask not. I like to submit, if we do not pray, we will not receive because prayer is asking and the answer to prayer is receiving. In Ephesians chapter 6, after he tells us about the armor of God, which we are commanded to put on fully, commanded to put on fully, obedience. He ends this list of articles. And sometimes I've taught it. I've heard other people teach it. And they end before this verse. And he says, he says, pray always. 
Put on the full armor of God. Pray always. Pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And so as I reviewed my own prayer life, and I began to see how often I had not done what the Lord has, has taught me in Luke 11. And I, and I began to just pour out my need for him. And, and, and he began to show me, you know, that there's really, there's no secret to this. But believe in the Father. Have faith in him. Ask according to his will. Seek his will. Ask, seek, knock. If you don't know what his will is, Go in the Word. And wherever you see God's will so clearly, pray that. Learn to pray like that. And then pray for whatever else the Lord lays on your heart. The Lord has just begun to work in me, in my prayer life, and I, I wanted to share that with you this morning. My, my, my prayer is that, that all of us would come away at least with something and go, I never thought about that. Lord, can you teach me more? Lord, help, help me to pray. Teach me to pray. And the worship team is going to come back and they're going to lead us in a song of worship.